The fundamental question that these parables ask is this. Is it possible for someone who has fallen away from the faith, a baptized child, to be brought to repentance? And the answer is yes, a thousand times yes. It has to be yes. Or I'm damned. And so are you. Pastor Peter Bender speaking at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. But if we as earthly parents love our children in spite of the fact that they rebel and maybe wander from home, how much more does the Father's love for us in Christ Jesus never cease? That is the birthright that you and I have been given in our baptism. That is our consolation. You can watch and listen to Pastor Peter Bender's teaching, Making the Case for a Dying Man's Consolation, and all of the presentations from this year's conference for a contribution of $300. It's available via on-demand video stream or podcast. Learn more at issuesetc.org. The hymn, Eternal Father, Strong to Save. It's a fitting hymn of the day for this coming Sunday, according to the three-year lectionary. We do have Jesus as the Lord of both the land and the sea. He walks upon the water and he saves his disciples. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Monday afternoon, August the 7th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. The 11th Sunday after Pentecost with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We'll spend some time with Dr. Michael New talking about abortion and an Ohio referendum requiring a 60% majority to amend the state's constitution. Some want abortion rights in the constitution. This would keep it out, likely. Then we will talk with Dr. Richard Davenport, part one of our series on Christian baptism. He's author of The Issues, Etc., Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, studying the sacrament throughout Scripture. Joining us to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, Pastor Sean Denzer. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. Great to be back, Todd. So I just pause here for a moment to ask, what is holding the Sundays after Pentecost together so far in this long season? Well, it's kind of a good question, I suppose, and the answer would be the Gospel of Matthew. So in the summer sections, the section usually called the time of the church, we get to hear pretty much continuous reading through Matthew. And the only place where we will depart from that is where we have something that we've already heard at another time in the church year, usually due to one of the main events of Christ's life. Then we'll skip over that and return to a new section. And occasionally we jump over things that, for whatever reason, get skipped. So that's the true answer, is the gospel is holding it together, the the course of Matthew's gospel and the progression of little sections that Matthew has. The difficulty in seeing that, I suppose, is a lot of Matthew's points, a lot of all four gospel writers' points 
are built upon what comes before. So there's a not only a course of events, but there's also kind of a rhetorical course of events where they're grouped for reasons other than just giving you on Tuesday this, on Wednesday that. And you have to come to church every Sunday to hear that. But if you have been, this part of the church here won't disappoint you. The gospel will be followed and will take the points and the topics and the articles of doctrine that are brought up in the gospels at those readings and use them to determine and understand the rest of the readings that are chosen around them. What are the themes that we can look forward to seeing here in the propers for this coming Sunday? So for this Sunday, as we look forward to Sunday morning, it's definitely the trustworthiness of our God, particularly Christ Jesus, and then our trust in him, our faith in him. Maybe this isn't a side of faith that Lutherans are as familiar with speaking about, but it is the nature of faith in our understanding that it is trust in the promises of God, that what the Lord says we believe to be true, and thus in this relationship of his promises and faith that receives those promises, we receive not only the words or the facts, but we receive the benefit of those promises because the Lord's creative word delivers what it says. So we know that, but behind all of this is the trustworthiness of our Lord. Sometimes, especially you know, in recent centuries, we've gotten bogged down in questions of historicity, which is certainly important that we believe that these things happen. And at this point, maybe at the forefront of our mind ought to be that God is in the first place, that we believe that the Lord is true. Um, but of course, James has that part of his epistle where he, where he kind of says that kind of faith only gets you so far, this historic faith, it's, it's sometimes called, where we believe the facts of history concerning God, concerning the Bible, and so do the demons. They, they have that much faith, but they shudder to think of God's name. They certainly don't trust in him or look to him for help. So our trust is dependent on the fact that our God is worth trusting in the first place, which has to do in two directions. One, that he can do anything about anything. Usually we call that his power or his, his sufficiency. Uh, but then together with that, that he actually wants to, that he actually cares about us, that he actually is going to use that power to help us as opposed to maybe to harm us. And that's going to be a very important thing we'll see today. The Lord's compassion, which was on display last week with the feeding of the 5,000, will be again on display, this time for his disciples in particular. So looking at today then, Christ's miracle of walking on water is seen. That certainly demonstrates him to be God. And we'll hear a great confession from the disciples at the end of the gospel that he is the son of God. That's great. But it's not simply so that we would have an apologetic proof that Jesus is God. That's good. We want that. And, and of course, the Lord does that. Interestingly, though, he does it just to his disciples. He actually dismisses the crowd, which he refused to do last week when he fed them. But he does that here before he does this walking on water, which is a miracle he totally sets up by sending his disciples off in the middle of a storm to get a head start so he can follow after them. It's not just to prove that he's God in the kind of blanket fact sense, but it is also to inspire and direct our faith toward him in all circumstances, including trouble. 
So it's to show, in a sense, that Jesus is the boat that will keep you safe in the storm. He's the rock that is a firm foundation. He is the answer to all the questions, which we'll hear especially in our Old Testament reading. Now, he does say in today's text, I am, which uh, there's some dispute whether or not that is an I am statement of Jesus. For my part, I, I have a hard time not seeing it that, because he couples it with the very message that his angels, his divine messengers, are always bringing his message, which is, do not be afraid. So all of this to say that the Lord's power is now placed in service to his compassion. And the purpose for this is to incite trust in us, that we would trust him. You wanted to say something about the chant propers today. Yeah, I love these. These are the parts that the choir is often given, or I suppose if there's no singers available, the pastor might sing these or speak these. And they have all sorts of purposes. They're usually drawn from the Psalms. Sometimes they're drawn from other places, mostly the Psalms today. And sometimes they show themselves to be obvious parallels. If we're talking about trees, the propers might talk about trees. Today will be some water and some wind as well. Sometimes they comment on what we've just heard. Certainly the psalm, as we've spoken of, does that over and over again, commenting on the Old Testament that precedes it. Sometimes they give an adjacent or even a contrasting idea from the scriptures that I think gives us something to ponder. But today they do something that the one-year lecturing does very often, and that is give us insight into the, the thoughts and prayers and statements of characters in the gospel reading, as it were. So certainly when we hear Psalm 22 uh, lined up with events in Jesus' life, we understand that quite clearly, based on the prophecies that are directly explained there in the gospels, that this is a psalm that Jesus is praying. The, the person who's saying these things about how he's being afflicted by the dogs, how he's being poured out like water, how God has forsaken him, this is Christ himself. These are the words that he uttered perfectly and fulfillingly on the cross. Today, we'll see that one of the characters, namely Peter, who is at the center of today's gospel, I really do think we're hearing his thoughts and his prayers and statements here in these psalm verses, which is great because he becomes an example for us then that we would take them up as well. We get to see his foibles again, as we often do in today's gospel. But the Psalms are the way we can see Peter learning his lesson, as it were. And his lesson, of course, is not to just do the right thing next time, but the particular right thing is to trust in the Lord, who is faithful and doesn't have foibles and fallings as we do. The intro, it is several verses of Psalm 34. How does it read? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's the first verse. Then we jump a little bit to four. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. 
So we hear in this psalm that the poor man is crying and the Lord hears him. It's hard not to think of Peter, I suppose also the rest of the disciples who are crying out to the Lord, but Peter in particular, who, as we'll hear in the gospel, wants to walk out to the Lord, maybe even to prove that it really is him. Let me come out to you. Okay, come. And as soon as Peter looks away, he begins to sink into the water and has to call out and reach out his arm or waits for the Lord to catch him before he falls. Well, this is the way the psalmist in Psalm 34 prays. And I think there's something also beautiful then in those who look to him are radiant, that they are shining in their faces, that they aren't ashamed and downcast. Certainly that we ought to look, as Peter did, to the Lord for our help. Now, overall, Psalm 34, which will make another appearance today, Psalm 34 is a great psalm of persuasion, not only to proclaim what the Lord has done, not only to address God, but also to address others around us. Now, we see this a lot in our hymnody. Sometimes people complain about that, that there is a lack of adoration specifically, sometimes we call it praise, where we're talking to God and saying, God, I praise you, God, I worship and extol, and I think you're great, God. There's nothing wrong with that. But so often in the Psalms, and we see it again here, the object, the person to whom we're talking in the Psalms is not directly and only God himself, as always is the direction of our prayers, but it's also this praise, this confession that's made before others, before friends, perhaps in the face of enemies, or simply to those all around us, so that if there's anyone in the grand spectrum from unbelief to uncertainty or agnosticism to belief but with doubt to strong believer, that all of them will be led and directed appropriately to turn their gaze along with us toward our Heavenly Father, toward our Lord Jesus Christ, that they would believe in him, that they would be strengthened in their faith in him, that they would trust in him. So we have just a portion of that, and not all of the argument by any means, but certainly a wonderful part of it that talks about how the Lord has been sought and answered, how he delivers, how he sends his angels to protect and a famous and well-loved verse, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the one who takes refuge and seeks protection in him. That last part certainly fits with today. Actually, the taste and see part, I suppose, reminds us of what we heard last week, that he uh, fed and satisfied those 5,000 men plus women and children. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We will get into the collect for the coming Sunday right after this. It is the sentence of this court that Theseus Cyprianus be executed with the sword. Cyprian, thanks be to God. Lutheran Church, Missouri, Senate President Pastor Matt Harrison speaking at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. So, I would rather lay down on this spot and have my head chopped off than give up the Word of God. But with that strong, biblically informed conscience, I shall face my day and age you shall face this day and age. We will confess Christ no matter what we face, and we will bear witness to a better way in Jesus. Come what may. Amen.
You can watch and listen to Pastor Matt Harrison making the case for the Lutheran option from the 2023 Making the Case Conference for a $300 gift by Labor Day. You can access an on-demand video stream or download a podcast of the entire conference. Order today at issuesetc.org. Old theology, new technology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Historic St. Paul Lutheran Church in the heart of Austin, Texas, is glad to support the work of Issues Etc. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul, and I'm glad we're part of this effort. Issues Etc. for decades has been the premier voice of Lutheran doctrine and biblical teaching in all of the world, and we're glad to be a little part of making sure that the work continues. If you're ever in Austin, stop by and visit us. All the information is on the website, stpaulaustin.org. That's stpaulaustin.org. When you hear the word heresy, what do you think of? Do you think of some ancient debate the church has gotten over and forgotten? Do you think of some stubby old theologians just arguing over things that don't matter? There's a lot more to heresies than you might think. And that's what the August issue of The Lutheran Witness is all about. Heresies, ancient and modern. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website, witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, what is the collect for this coming Sunday? Collect is prayed. Almighty and most merciful God, preserve us from all harm and danger, that we, being ready in both body and soul, may cheerfully accomplish what you want done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, this collect is repurposed and reworked slightly. So this is based on the collect for Trinity 19 in the historic lectionary. The translation was originally by Cranmer in English from the Book of Common Prayer. Here, it's been slightly adjusted. Originally, it was paired with the healing of that lame man who Jesus says, take heart, your sins are forgiven, and then to prove his divine authority to forgive sins, also healed the man. We see also then today, the Lord is proving his divine nature, again, by having compassion, although not in particular by forgiving sins. And so we have it adjusted just slightly to add harm and danger, which I think probably fits very well with the gospel's natural disaster, you might say, if you want to call the wind and waves a disaster. The original prayer had a few things that were slightly different. It just simply said all of the things that are adverse to us, keep them away, which I suppose doesn't fit the Lord, doesn't keep them away, although at the end, everything does calm down on the waters there. But I think what is especially it was chosen for is that we may be ready in both our bodies and our souls. So we see the disciples are exercising. Certainly they're ready, I guess, for the task of rowing. They're making headway even though the wind is against them. Yet their souls, their confidence in God is not there. They're afraid and not uh, fearing God, but terrified of him when they see Jesus. So also Peter is not fully prepared to step out of that boat, it doesn't seem, even though he uh, thought he could handle it. And for what end? That we may cheerfully accomplish what you want done. In the Latin, it used to say that we would do it with free minds. 
free from what i suppose you'd have to ask well free from perhaps trust in other alternative gods that is always a temptation to us but i think the one god that we struggle to see as a god but is probably one of the most pernicious to us is to have an overconfidence in ourself can see something of that in Peter who leaps out of the boat. Maybe we can see something, a temptation to that in Job, although of course the Lord famously says in all this he did not sin. But it definitely is, as we'll see, a difficulty of our faith that we want to be in control of everything, that we want to be God and we want to even knowing God become God ourselves so that we no longer have to be devoted to him. Maybe we want the rescue on the front end but we don't want him to continue to be our Lord and our master and the one who protects us the rest of our life. That's the lesson in particular that the disciples are going to have to learn, and we ought to learn as well today. So the Old Testament reading comes from Job. How does it fit in? I think it fits in largely because it is the Lord declaring his almighty power in contrast to Job also nicely that it mentions the wind and the waves that we'll see in the gospel reading. Here it is, just starting at verse 4. This is after the Lord comes out of the whirlwind at the end of the book to answer Job, who wanted to have his day in court and hear what it is that he's done to deserve all of this. The Lord said to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you must know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band? I prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you ever commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. So far, a reading from Job. This is the Lord answering him, and highly rhetorical in a couple ways. One, you can hear maybe a little bit of sarcasm, if I dare to say that, in the Lord's voice. Surely you have to know this, right, Job? And the point is, in fact, to humble Job and to say, of course he doesn't know this. And that's exactly what Job says. Surely I did not know at the end. So the implication in all of these statements is, actually, it is not you, Job. It is me, the Lord, who did all these things. That's right. It was me, wasn't it? This is a fine example of the book of Job, which is quite early, as I understand it, in the writing out of the Old Testament. And it 
hardly looks primitive to me. It's highly rhetorical. It's very beautiful the way it personifies the earth, parts of it describing the foundations of the earth, not in some flat earth rigid theory or something, but laying it out as if it were a beautiful construction with the emphasis being on God's designing, his care, even his craftsmanship and artistry. His, you know, He's an engineer. He, he laid it out carefully. And by the way, the angels were there, the morning stars, singing around, playing the tunes for him while he's out on the construction site. These are ugly and silly comparisons compared to what the book of Job has for us. Just beautiful. Specifically for today, then, we see the Lord has command of the sea. He says it goes this far and not that far. He commands the tides a beautiful kind of way of speaking about it, and maybe a little more noticeable when we consider his mastery of the sea where he made it stand like walls on a heap uh, in the Red Sea. But then we even get a, a fortuitous thing at the end where he says, you know, have you ever taken a stroll on the bottom of the sea? Have you, have you ever walked in the sea? Well, and that's exactly what we see the Lord doing, walking on top of the water in today's gospel. I think you should notice maybe the, the contrast also between the Lord's line of questioning of Job and his answering of the disciples. They're not the same at all. And I think it has to do with where these people are in their faith, in their confidence, and the condition that the Lord finds them. We see the disciples are troubled. They're most troubled, as it seems, by God himself arriving. They think he's a ghost at first. And the Lord shows them compassion, just like he did before. So last week, we had those scattered people, the crowds following him. In other gospels, they're described like sheep without a shepherd. We simply saw that they were helpless and uh, hungry, tossed about. Well, that's exactly what we're going to have in the gospel reading. Also, we have the disciples who are fighting hard and yet are not really making great headway. They're a bit tossed about in the waves as well. And they haven't seemed to learn the lesson vicariously through the crowds that Jesus displayed last week with his compassion, his full satisfactory fulfillment and trustworthiness in all things. So they will learn that. On the other hand, Job, at the end of this great book where he is beset by miserable comforters and fake friends who are accusing him, Job remains steadfast. He was the steadfast one among his family as well. And in a sense, you see Job is, I would put it this way, he can take it. And the Lord comes at him holding no punches. That Job is not a bruised reed or a smoldering wick who we know that the Lord won't snuff out. But Job faces a trial of discipline. And why the rebuke? Well, it would be the mark of little faith to dare to command any of these things, to think that we have control of the earth's foundations, to think that we are masters over the sea. Man, it's not too long ago when we were recording this that we had that submarine that was lost. It was going to look at the Titanic, and we don't think of shipwrecks actually happening anymore. But even here in current year, we don't have mastery over these things at all. That's not faith that says, I think I can do it. Sometimes we replace the true understanding of faith with this confidence in ourselves. That's really the most dangerous kind of false faith to have. It's a seeking to control all of the world and to strip that duty from God himself. 
very similar to what Eve did, perhaps just on a more arrogant and ridiculous scale to think that God didn't know what he was doing when he said, don't eat of this fruit, you don't need this knowledge, or likewise to think that God doesn't know what he's doing in this world. I'm Todd Wilkin, your link to Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. The LCMS Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music is July 9th through the 12th in 2024. Songs of Deliverance, Psalms in the Great Congregation is the theme. Find out more at lcms.org slash worship, lcms.org slash worship. We'll get to the appointed psalm, Psalm 18, next. How do the global flood, circumcision, and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness foreshadow the baptismal flood in Christ? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. This new Bible study is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or find out more about The Baptismal River at issuesetc.org. The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. Job saw the city as a wasteland, as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The Schools Division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our school is committed to authentic Lutheranism, the entire Book of Concord, and indeed to authentic Lutheranism, as it has continued to be confessed and practiced through the centuries, right up into our own time. Dr. Cameron McKenzie, Chairman of the Department of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're committed then to biblical, confessional Christianity and Lutheranism and applying it to the world of today in as effective a way as we can. 
You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, ctsfw.edu, or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. The appointed psalm is 18, either verses 1 through 16, or you can do 1 through 6. Sure, and the psalm itself is much longer and is a really beautiful and important psalm. It's a shame that we're so impatient that we can't stand for all of it. But as a result, we're not going to hear it all today, whether you take the short version or the long version. I'll read up to six, then I'll go on to get the rest. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached my ears. Now, remember, in the three-year lectionary, the purpose of these psalms by themselves here is to comment on the Old Testament Certainly Job did cry out to the Lord, although his cry was for kind of a justice answer to have his day before the Lord and to hear, where is it that I have actually failed? Haven't I rather been blameless? You'll speak for yourself, God. Here we see the cry of faith, the cry of distress, and looking to the one who can rescue us out of this, which in my mind fits much more with the gospel than the Old Testament. The Lord is the refuge who saves. Uh, He's the one who in our distress that we call out to and he hears. That's what the disciples do and Peter. Although maybe we want to continue just a little bit because I think then we'll hear, if we're willing to do it, through verse 16 to hear a little more of what would fit with today's readings. So I'll go on. The Lord heard my distress cry. That was verse 6. Now verse 7. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. And the psalm goes on. But here, one, I suppose we see a great affinity to Job in its construction rhetorically. 
that it's describing all of these wonderful kind of metaphors, descriptions, all talking about God's power. I don't know what time in history God rode on an angel, a cherubim, and flew around, or or when he actually cast out uh, hailstones, ice flowing down from the sky. But the point, rather, is to describe the indescribable, his power, his his, uh, as, and it's revealed, his voice actually can only be likened to coals of fire or hailstones. It's exact opposite. These powerful, destructive, can't be imitated by human powers sort of forces. And yet we see that what's being described is actually his work in the Old Testament. Where have we heard this kind of fire coming, if not at Sinai? Where have we heard about him routing the enemy, if not Pharaoh and his hosts, or perhaps later those who overtake the Assyrians, right? And in particular, he lays the foundations of the world, the channels of the sea bare. Well, we know when that happened. That happened at the Exodus when he made those walls stand as a heap. So it does, I think, in the longer reading, give us not only an affinity to the style of poetry that we have in Job, uh, but also emphasizes the Lord's power. Here, his fearsome power. But notice, even at the end in there in verse 16, he sent all of this on high actually to rescue me, to draw me out of the waters. The epistle is from Romans 10, 5 through 17. Just to make a note, we did skip a bit of our epistle in Romans. We missed Pharaoh being hardened, the discussion that Paul has on that. We missed his discussion of the clay arguing with its potter as as a kind of ridiculous thing. And then we missed actually Paul's point in talking about this and kind of this election of God, this scary notion, I suppose, that the Lord is merciful on whom he's merciful that Paul's point is that he has now chosen the Gentiles who who should have been unchosen, but they have believed, whereas the Jews, whom the Lord has given every benefit and has chosen specifically, have not believed. Uh, in fact, this is where, and Paul would know, wouldn't he? He speaks about the Jews as those who have zeal, and yet a zeal that's not according to knowledge. Because, and this is kind of the big phrase right before our reading picks up, an important one to know, that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Namely, speaking about the fact that Christ means the law cannot be a means by which we justify ourselves before God. Rather, faith in Christ Jesus is this. And this is the way that Christ is the end, the completion, the fulfillment of that law. That's where we pick up to speak about Moses here. Verse 5, Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. 
Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. A few distinctions lie behind this. And again, this is definitely a difficult thing to do to break up the book of Romans. So we can't have Paul's long and kind of chained argument that he certainly makes in this epic book. But we have the distinction of the law and the gospel right at the beginning. So Moses writes about the righteousness based on the law, do this and live. The person who does the commandments will live as a result by them. And yet the gospel, this message concerning Christ, says something different. It says, believe and confess this. That is where you'll get life, because Christ has accomplished it. And that matter is not something to be chased after, or something to be achieved, or something to be brought under our control. And it's not something we can ascend to with our works or with our mind or with our reason. It's not something we can dig up out of the depths of the earth or some arcane secret knowledge but it's something that is right here for us. It's brought very close to us. It's brought in the word of God that is spoken, that is preached, that is written, then believed. It comes as close as the heart and then proceeds out of our mouths as well in a confession of faith. And all of this is in the background of that strange distinction between Jew and Gentile that now has been done away with in Christ Jesus on account of the Jews have pursued a salvation according to works of the law, which isn't able to be done. And they have, for the sake of that futile pursuit, ignored and not believed the work of Jesus Christ and not trusted in him as their savior, which is a tragic thing. And Paul is again trying to lay out why not all of Israel seems to be saved, why they are not all coming to the faith, why his kinsmen are rejecting the Savior that he trusts and proclaims. And he says, you know, it's it's not a, a fault of the word, it's gone out, and yet not all has believed, just as certainly the prophet Isaiah experienced. That doesn't mean that the feet of those who preach are not beautiful. That doesn't mean that the preaching of those who are sent does not save. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ we have to puzzle and wonder and be distressed, I suppose, sad, but not lose heart that we see that some don't believe. So there is no distinction then between Jews and Gentiles. That means it's a universal promise. And Paul gets to preach now on the same text that Peter used on Pentecost Day. That's from Joel. And that's where he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I really like seeing that. I love in Second Peter where Peter acknowledges that Paul's epistles are the word of God. They're the scriptures. And that means that people will twist them to say funny things. 
that doesn't mean that you throw them out. It just means, well, that's what you have to do. Heretics are always going to twist the scriptures. Paul's scriptures are no exception. Here, though, we see, uh, and I don't know if he's imitating that sermon or not, but uh, it seems likely. Certainly, he's got the exact same message that Peter preached. Peter's own words can correct him also for his mistakes on the Jew-Gentile question. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord to be saved. That means that the promise of holy baptism, the promise of what Christ has done, his death, his resurrection for our salvation, it is for everyone, near, far, those who are close, who have all the promises like the Jews, and for those who are lost in their own darkness like the Gentiles, all will be saved by trusting. Trusting what? Trusting the words, the promises that are delivered. Where will you find those? Those who are preaching the gospel. Where does this come from? It comes from God himself who sends it out. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. He's director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's helping us look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. We will get into the gradual and verse for the 11th Sunday after Pentecost next. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our adventures in Acts with Forgiveness is Proclaimed to You, Turning to the Gentiles, Signs and Wonders, We Are Men, and Through Many Tribulations. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Grace, Faith, Scripture, and Christ alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial a podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Monday, August the 7th, we're looking forward to the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer of LCMS Worship. 
Sean, we come to the gradual and the verse for this coming Sunday. Well, I'm glad to report we have a new gradual now, and it does kind of uh, build us into a season, you might call it. So we've come off actually a quote from Romans, the indescribable, inscrutable, amazing wisdom and knowledge of God to whom we give praise and glory. Now I think we're kind of proceeding into a Psalm 34 tide, if you will. So for proper 14 all the way through proper 20, in year A at least, and actually in all the years, we'll hear this new gradual. And then we're going to move into something related to St. Michael and all angels following that day. And last, we'll wrap up at the end of the church here, looking at something that reflects both All Saints Day and also the end time season that concludes the church year and leads right into the end times and all three comings of the Lord in Advent. So here's our gradual for the next few weeks from Psalm 34 again. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Two isolated verses from Psalm 34 that definitely comprehend it, that don't relate so directly to the readings that are coming up. I I suppose in a way they relate best to today's. But we will next week see faith in the Canaanite woman. After that, we'll see Peter's confession of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of God, and the keys given. We'll see the faltering of faith. Get behind me, Satan. It's necessary that I go to my cross. In fact, you must take up your cross also. But those who take up their cross have no lack, which is also included here. Then we'll talk about the forgiveness of sins. How many times, Lord? Matthew 18, followed by the vineyard workers and the laborers, the end of which is that the Lord will give what is right and do what is right with what is his own. And what he chooses to do is to show incredible grace and mercy to those who don't deserve it. So that's what it means then to say in the gradual that those who fear him, who trust in him, who know him according to faith, will lack nothing. Even though they face many afflictions, the Lord will rescue them. The gospel reading has been in the background here the whole time, but take us into Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. Here it is, and I I skipped the verse, and that's just fine because it'll be verse 27 right here in the middle of this gospel. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. The boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Here's that verse, by the way, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. 
Those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Oh, there's quite a bit in this. I think it's very interesting that Jesus was asked to send away the crowds by the disciples, and he said, no, we've got to feed them. In fact, I want you to do that, although they were incapable of doing it. The Lord did his miracle last week, feeding the 5,000. Now he sends the crowds away, but he also sends the disciples out ahead of him in the boat. And he kind of sets up the miracle in this way, sends them out into the wind. I guess we have to say that they uh, are succeeding a little bit. They're struggling, though, because the winds and the waves and everything is against them. Jesus didn't get his chance to pray before because the crowds came and interrupted him, although he had compassion on them. Here he gets it. Here he puts the first thing first, you might say, and if it delays him, that's fine. But when the disciples are having difficulty without Jesus, he comes out to them on the water. Interesting that they have some success without him, but the thing that really brings the terror is when Jesus shows up the first time. That might seem strange, but to see the Lord's power, to have him come out of the whirlwind like he did with Job, is not particularly comforting at first. Just to know that our Lord is almighty doesn't answer the question, is he for me or against me? And I think there's a bit of that right there. As far as they know, it might be a ghost. Certainly, I've never seen anybody walking on water before. That's something only the Lord could do, or I suppose some phantasm that our minds could cook up. When he gives his word, though, they have joy. And his word is worth looking at here. Take heart, be encouraged, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Probably fits very well with our translation in the Collect that we would cheerfully serve him in all things, cheerfully do what he asks. So he cheers us by his word. There's a little debate, as I mentioned, whether he's saying, I am in the I am who I am kind of sense, or whether this is simply to say, hey, it's me. It's the one you recognize. For my part, I have a hard time ever imagining that the Lord says, I am, and it doesn't have or carry behind it some greater significance. Certainly, we see at the end one of the clearest confessions in Matthew's gospel that the disciples believe that Jesus is not only their friend, not only their master, but he is God himself, the Son of God. That doesn't happen so often. But along with the I am, along with the here's my power, look at me walking on the water, which only God could do, I must be the master of this water as a result, he says, do not be afraid. This is the angelic message that he is always sending. Do not be afraid that he removes fear. Those who trust in him, those who fear him, will have no lack. In fact, the Lord will take away their fear of everything else. And then they're led to see also that they ought to look to him for everything. That's certainly the lesson to be taken from Peter, who starts out in doubt. If you really are who you say you are, if it really is you, let me come out to you. There's a boldness there. Who does Peter think he is, that he can walk on water just like the Lord can? And we see that he succeeds a bit, but he is distracted by the wind. He's distracted by all of the things that might cause us to doubt. And yet, far better than the last time he was on the water, I think, which is when he was collecting that great catch of fish, and he fell on the sand and said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Here, 
he says, Lord, save me. And that's absolutely the right thing to say in difficulty, to look to God, to seek rescue, to recognize that only he can save us. This is what faith does. It looks to him in its difficulty and in its joy as the giver of all good things and the rescuer. And you see that the Lord is right there for him, reaches out his hand, takes hold of him, gives this slight rebuke. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt in this way? We see that doubt is not to be praised, especially when it's doubt in the Lord's trustworthiness. So the Lord shows himself in all of this to be entirely trustworthy. And this is what leads them to say truly, you are the son of God. They acknowledge him, of course, as the one who is all powerful. He's proven that by now in this event. But notice how he is almighty in having compassion for them. This is just one of my favorite colics of all time. I don't know why it wasn't chosen for this. I'm sure it's chosen for another example of this, because frankly, it's just the way Jesus is throughout the Gospels. But that wonderful colic that says, you show your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. I think that would be a fine summary of today's readings, that the Lord shows his fantastical, almighty, all the things he says to Job, power, but he puts it in service to his compassion for us, which is entirely undeserved. And yet this is the loving kindness of God for us. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thank you. My pleasure. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc. on this Monday, August the 7th, we'll be talking with Dr. Michael New, Senior Associate Scholar for the Charlotte Lozier Institute about abortion and an Ohio referendum requiring a 60% majority to amend the state constitution. It means a lot for pro-lifers in that state and maybe around the country. Then it'll be part one of our series on Christian baptism. Dr. Richard Davenport will be our guest, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay tuned. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc., Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.